Hello, everyone. This is Treating the Eye Generation with Sherry Simmons. Sherry is a presenter with whom we work very often and whom we love. Uh, she has an amazing resume and mom Jan is on as well today. Hi, Jan. Um, thanks for joining us, guys. I think you're going to really, really love this training. Sherry, thank you again for, for teaching for us. And we'll be here again the whole time to help you with questions. We'll go off camera now. So you'll, you'll only be on camera. And take it away. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here today. Um, there's a billion things you could be doing on a Saturday. I appreciate and I'm grateful that you're spending the time with me. Um, like Renee said, my name is Sherry. I am a, a career therapist, been a therapist for 30 years. I have run seven different residential treatment centers for adolescents. Um, I've got an outpatient program. I wrote a book on uh, trauma with my mother. Um, she and I do a talk called Which Way for Foster Source. Uh, I teach at several different universities and I have been a foster parent before. So. Today, we're going to be talking about the I generation. And I have a few goals for today. The first one is to explain the nuances of the two generations that most of your kiddos fall into. We're going to be talking about the implications for parents of those children. And then we're also going to talk about some strategies for how to reach them in a different way, because this is a whole different ball game, isn't it? These kids that that have been born into, you know, the social media world. I first became I've got a 23 year old son right now. But I first became interested in the I generation several years ago when he um, his bedroom was down in the basement, and he always had friends over in the basement. So there was just always a ton of stinky boys running around downstairs. But one day in particular, it was eerily quiet down there in the basement. And, you know, as a parent, you know, anytime anything gets really quiet all of a sudden, that's a red flag. So I go down to the basement and I said, what's what's going on with you guys? Why aren't you talking? And my son said, we are. And I said, no, you're not. I can't even hear you. It's totally silent down here. And he said, uh, we are talking. We're texting each other. And I thought, oh my gosh, they are sitting in the same room texting each other. We got a problem and I need to learn this. I need to figure out this new world. Let's talk a little bit about, I'm trying to get to my next slide here. And for some reason it's not advancing. So let me, there we go. So let's talk a little bit about the generations of past, um, starting with the baby boomers. You know, birth starts 1946. Birth for this generation ends in 1964. Then we move into Generation X. Um, then we've got the Xennials. This is a micro generation of Generation X and the Millennials. I would assume most of you probably fall into the Xennials or the millennial generation as parents. Type your, the, type your generation into the chat, guys. This will be interesting. Yeah, I'd like to see what generation do you fall in when you look at these numbers? I have not heard of the Xennials. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it was Gen kind X, of an, baby yep. boomer, millennial, millennial, Gen X, Gen X. 
millennials, okay. Gen Y, Gen X, 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 a lot of X's. Someone says, I've read somewhere that Xennials and it's going too fast. I missed it. Yeah. They're, they're, when you look things up on the internet, these uh, years vary just a little bit, depending on what search engine you're, you're looking at. Lots of Gen Xers today, Sherry. Okay, good. Two millennials. Cool. All right, so then we go into um, the iGen. The iGens, also known as um, Gen Z. Um, I would assume that most of your kids either fall into the I generation or the newest generation, which is Gen Alpha. I generation and Gen Alpha were the two generations that were born with access to the iPad, the iPhone, the smartphones, the all the social media platforms that we have. And because of that, they have some unique qualities to them. And that's why we're going to dig into this today a little bit. What do youth do on social media? Let's dig, let's dig into this for a minute. 93% of youth on social media are reading content. 92% are viewing videos or photos. You can kind of see the breakdown as you keep going here. Um, 50, almost 53% are virtual people watching. Yikes. Um, 52% making new contact contacts, playing online games, 30% advocating for a cause. And that's another thing that we're going to see with these two generations, the I generation and gen alpha. We do have a, a generation of kiddos that, um, that want their voice to be heard, that have thoughts. They want people to hear their thoughts. They advocate for causes. Um, they're big into social justice for the most part. And so that's one of the cool things that we're seeing about this generation. Like it or not, youth taught us how to broaden our reach in this world. So before we start blaming social media for everything that's gone wrong in the world, let's take a look for a second at what's gone right. I mean, they, they taught us how to broaden our reach. After the industrial revelation, or sorry, revolution, we became a society that was isolated. We started moving away from families. Uh, we had this, we sort of developed this get her done, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, take care of number one, only you can trust you sort of mentality in society. And youth, 15, 20 years ago, were the ones that showed us how to connect again. They were the ones that showed us how to reach out. And we started connecting with cousins and distant relatives that we wouldn't have connected with before. They started teaching us, this, these younger generations, how to learn in a very different way than we had been used to. They created Facebook, where we can now connect with family anytime we want. They gave us LinkedIn, where we can beef up our, our resumes and connect with people professionally in a way we couldn't do before. Um, they gave us Instagram, where we can post pictures of our lives and stay in touch with our friends better. They gave us Bumble and Match and Tender, ways to connect with people and form relationships. They gave us TikTok, ways to have fun and watch dances and learn recipes. They expanded our world. And that was great. And there was a cost. And we're going to talk about the cost a little bit today. 
I don't know how many of you have seen um, The Social Dilemma. It's on Netflix. It's, it's definitely worth watching if you haven't seen it. Um, there's parts of it that are kind of cheesy, to be honest, but there's a lot of really good information in there. And I thought it was so good. I want to show you the trailer for it because it, it sort of summarizes what the whole documentary is about. Post right away, guys, if you can't hear this. We've tested this several times and we think you can hear it, but let us know if you can't. When you go to Google and type in climate change is, you're going to see different results depending on where you live and the particular things that Google knows about your interests. That's not by accident, that's a design technique. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. I was the co-inventor of the Facebook like button. I was the president of Pinterest. Google. Twitter. Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I think we were naive about the flip side of that coin. We get rewarded by parts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. A whole generation is more anxious, more depressed. I always felt like fundamentally it was a force for good. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Facebook discovered that they were able to affect real world behavior and emotions without ever triggering the user's awareness. They are completely clueless. Fake news spreads six times faster than true news. We're being bombarded with rumors. If everyone's entitled to their own facts, there's really no need for people to come together. In fact, there's really no need for people to interact. We have less control over who we are and what we really believe. If you want to control the population of your country, there has never been a tool as effective as Facebook. We built these things and we have a responsibility to change it. The intention could be, how do we make the world better? If technology creates mass chaos, loneliness, more polarization, more election hacking, more inability to focus on the real issues, we're toast. This is checkmate on humanity. Yeah, it's Who good. It's watching me and why? I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great documentary if you have a chance to watch it. And like I said, it's on Netflix. Let's talk a little bit about what we know about the I generation and Gen Alpha. And I am making some broad stroke generalizations here. I know that not all kids fall into these categories, but in general, what most of them do in, in these two generations. These kids tend to be Sorry, very... Sherry, what was that called again? The social dilemma? Social right? dilemma. All mm -hmm. right, I'll type it in the chat. Yep. These kids tend to be very adaptable. They are also resilient for the most part. They are confident, but it is a false sense of confidence. There's this anonymity factor with social media platforms where um, cyberbullying is easy to, easier to do because you can say things a little bit easier when you're saying it to a screen instead of an actual human. 
Um, you can, I've got one teenager I'm working with right now. She has five different accounts, five different personalities, depending on the group that she wants to talk to. So you can almost create this new persona. So there's a confidence, but it's a false sense of confidence. These kids tend to be very tribal. They are looking for relationships and cohesion and belonging and structure. They understand group dynamics and power differentials very well. They have a lot of insight about that because they grew up watching it play out on YouTube or you know any social media platform that they're on. They tend to possess self-defeating behaviors and self-defeating thoughts. This one concerns me probably more than any of them. And I wanna explain why. We have evolved to care about whether people in our tribe think well of us or not. We've evolved to, 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 to care about what the people that we love think about us. But we were not evolved to think about what 10,000 people think about us. Does that make sense? We've not, we've not evolved to have social approval dosed to us every five minutes, okay? We're not built to experience and curate our lives around this perceived sense of perfection. Social media, and, and the problem with social media is it digs deeper into the brainstem and it takes over our sense of self-worth and our sense of identity. Here's the problem. Technology has evolved. Our brains have not. And that's where we're seeing the disconnect with this. Um, questions about any of that so far? Okay. The other thing that we know about this generation is FOMO. Okay, the fear of missing out. Again, our brains have evolved to crave face-to-face -face interaction. We crave it because oxytocin is released in our brain when we have one-on-one -on -one interactions with each other. That's why this pandemic has been so difficult for people. There is a decrease in oxytocin that is released in our brain because we're not having those one-on-one -on -one conversations. We're not getting together with people that we love for dinner anymore. And it's, it's creating anxiety and depression. But there's this fear of missing out and, and your kids are experiencing that. There's a report that, there's several reports that these kids are feeling more lonely and depressed and anxious. What we know is that teens who spend more than three hours a day on electronics are 35% more likely to have depression and anxiety. Data released recently from the CDC in fact, in June, revealed that between 2000 and 2016, suicide rates rose in the US by 30%. Between 2000 and 2016 is when we saw an uptick in all the social media platforms and where it, it really started gaining momentum. And it's correlated with a 30% rise in the suicide rate. We know that for these kids, their mind is always looking for what is new and different rather than what is important. Okay, they've been trained since an early age to look for the newest exciting thing. And so when you're talking to them about what's important, they sometimes don't register with that because it's not new, it's not relevant, it's not, it's, it's not bright and shiny. We also know with the I generation is that 
that there is a severe lack of sleep in these in these kiddos. It is recommended that teens get nine hours of sleep. Only one in 10 teens actually get nine hours of sleep. Only one in 10. That's disturbing to me. What we also know about this generation is that they're highly competitive. They have been used to watching competition uh, play out online. Um, they're used to watching reality shows out online that, that tend to be highly competitive. Um, they're competitive because they are competing with their friends about who can get more likes, who can get more followers. They're used to being entertained. From an early age, they're used to being entertained. What that means for you, and we're going to talk about the implications for you as a parent in a minute, is that you've got to maybe go out of your own comfort zone and out of your box a little bit to engage with them. There is more pressure on this generation than any other generation in the past. Here's what I mean by that. Our brains are exquisitely attuned to social acceptance and rejection. When I was growing up, I compared myself to Ross and Rachel on Friends. These kids are comparing themselves to the masses, and there's a ton of pressure about that. These kids are externally driven for their validation. It's not something that's internal for them. It's external. I am valued and worthy and beautiful and smart if I have so many likes. So it's externalized. They're exposed to adult stuff early on in their lives. And so because of that, they feel like they can take an adult on and argue. We've got little four-year-olds now that can argue in a pretty <laughs> in a pretty persuasive way because they've been exposed to watching adult stuff and adult content that they probably shouldn't have watched. Their mistakes are amplified in this generation more than any other. Their mistakes are more amplified than ours were. Here's what I mean by that. The school system in Loveland several years ago decided that it would be a brilliant idea to get their tardiness in check if they implemented singing in classrooms. So, so kids that were late tardy to class had to stand up in front of their class and sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, some sort of song for the entire class. Now, if you are a popular kid or have a good voice, that's awesome. You get several laughs, you get lots of validation. If you are not, that is a death sentence to have to sing in front of a class and probably be video recorded while you're doing it. This generation had their mistakes amplified when they are tripped in the school hallway and it's all on video. When um, their bodies don't look like their peers and they're recorded in the locker room. And all of it is up on YouTube for these kids to see and all their classmates to see by 5 p.m. every day. Their mistakes are amplified. Let's give them grace and understanding and compassion because it would be hard to be a kid today. They're narcissistic at times. We know this about our kids. And their brains are primed for addictive behaviors due to the dopamine release that they're getting when they're playing video games or they're online talking with friends. There's a dopamine released in their brains and that dopamine release can get addictive. 
it's the same chemical that's released when kids use drugs and alcohol. In fact, DSM, right here. DSM is the statistical manual that us as clinicians use to diagnose mental health treatment diagnosis in people across the country. And there's a list of criteria that people have to meet in order to receive that diagnosis. When you think of somebody who is um, addicted to social media, what do you think of? What, what do you see? Write in the chat box. What are some of the things that you would see in a child who's addicted to gaming or addicted to social media? Fear of missing out. Absolutely. So it comes through here. Isolation. Isolation. Anger when no access. Yes. Anger when they don't have it. Absolutely. Constantly thinking about it. No eye contact. Cannot socially engage. Tired all the time. Temper tantrums when they don't get it. Irritable angry at the family. They're bored. Sleep disruption, right? They're bored. They can't think of anything else to do if they can't do so. Yes. Absolutely. These, these are, are great, you guys. These are brilliant. I want to read to you the criteria in the DSM for a substance use disorder. Using longer than intended. Tried and failed to cut back use. Spending time using and sacrificing sleeping and eating due to use, cravings and urges, not managing work, home or school because of it, uh, relational problems, needing to do it more to get more of the high. All of those things could be said about kids and their gaming and their social media. And that is the criteria for substance abuse. Interesting, isn't it? All right, what else we know about this um, generation is, um, is that they learn in a very different way. So I don't come from a family that is highly educated. I was the first one in my family to get a graduate degree, an undergrad degree and a graduate degree. So I take education very, very seriously. I teach at several universities. It's high on my priority list. And when my son was small, in his little bookcase in his room, we had all the classics. Uh, Good Night Moon, Who Moved My Cheese, um, I'll Love You Forever and the course catalog for Denver University. Like that is something that I started instilling in him when he was tiny, very tiny. I wonder what classes you're gonna take in college. It was just a big value of mine. And so you can imagine the shock that I felt when my son called me in his second year of school, of undergrad, and said he was dropping out. Now, if you've listened to any of my other talks, I talk about the wizard brain and the lizard brain. I immediately went to my lizard brain and I started lecturing him on all of the billion reasons why he needs to stay in school and get ahead and he will you know, end up pumping gas and never make any money and what are you thinking? And I lost it. He got defensive, he went to his lizard brain. We had two lizards who were arguing with each other. We didn't get anywhere, we both hung up and we were mad. Later that night, at about 3 a.m. the next morning, actually, he sent me this video. Take a look. 
Dear older generations, we can see there's a bit of confusion to what us millennial travelers are all about. So here's a message to you that may help. And we should start by saying, we're sorry. Sorry for being unable to sit still in an office. We fail to see the difference between working on a laptop in a cubicle or on a beach in Indonesia. Either way, the work will be done and on time. Otherwise, you have the right to fire us. We are digital nomads, and the entire world is our workspace, our classroom, our playground, and our home. The cubicle is a wooden box. Sorry for not buying into the whole society expectation of a mortgage, a family, and kids. Without a doubt, these things will be great experiences. But so is swimming with sharks in South Africa, dancing with tribes in Papua New Guinea, and tobogganing down a volcano in Nicaragua. You may call these desires selfish, but we believe that being in a relationship or raising kids while regretting not doing all these things is also selfish. Why surround the people we love with our own pain and grief? Call us entitled, privileged, or whatever names you want, but excuse us for ignoring you and proceeding forward. It's our mission to have racism, prejudice, and discrimination fade away into the history books where it belongs. Sorry if we don't support wars or act with anger and hatred. We fail to see how using the things we hope to abolish can do any good. Instead, we love and move forward. Sorry if we keep saying we can change the world. We have all information at our fingertips and get answers within milliseconds. 3.4 billion people are online and only an email, tweet, or Facebook message away. It's hard to pass on this opportunity. We know you can also see the opportunity, but may feel too old or poor to do something about it. When really, you do have a choice. And if you can't see this opportunity, that's a problem in itself. Sorry for not seeing the value of paying $30,000 a year to sit in a century-old lecture hall and learn about things that are free online. Even though they're free, we're still not interested in them. Which is why we need to discover our passions and interests. And the only way we know how to do that is to travel. So that's where we invest our money. Sorry if we take photos and videos of everything we do and share with our friends online. It was someone's post and words of encouragement that gave us the strength to follow our passions in the first place. So we're kind of this massive community in support of following dreams and overcoming fears. We believe there's a difference between living and merely existing. But there isn't much difference between merely existing and death. So for that reason, we choose to live. With much love, Millennial Travelers. Wow. That was... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's the video that I got at 3 a.m. And I got it. I finally got it. And, and I called him and I said, I'm sorry. I blew that one. You do you. And at 23, my son is a college dropout and he owns a multi-million dollar marketing company. He has 22 employees and he did it his way. And, and here's what we have to remember as parents that these kids learn in a different way than we did. 
okay? We think as parents that our values have to be their values, and that's not right. Our values don't have to be their values. They're going to have different values. It, it, we are hardwired to separate from our parents. And, and so a lot of the, the, the coaching that I give parents is they will become them by not being you. I want to say that again. They will become them by not being you. They have to be different from you or they can't separate. So when you are lecturing about your values, they know them. They watch them. They have heard them. And they are, are on a path to set their own values. And they may be different. Okay. All right. So um, um, sorry, just looking at the chat box. Let me know if you have a question. I want to move in. I'm going to shift gears a minute and move into the implications for parents of kids in the I generation or Gen Alpha. These youth need reminders that they're loved. Remember, their love and worth is external and it's based on how many people are liking and following them. So they need reminders from you that they're loved in their language. Okay, find out the love language of your kiddo. I have a daughter-in-law who responds and communicates with me in memes and videos. I'm a therapist. I talk out everything to the hilt. That's just part of who I am. So I am completely bothered by the fact that that is how she communicates with me. If I want a relationship with her, I've got to get good at sending stupid little memes and stupid little videos as a way to show her that I care about her. Don't like it. If I want a relationship, I have to do it. What if you had an argument with your child that night and it blew up and the next morning you sent them a text and it said something like this. Hey, kiddo, I'm sorry that we argued last night. Poop emoji. Um, we'll talk about it later and get it worked out. But I want you to know I love you and I'm rooting for you and I'm in your corner. Heart emoji. What if we communicated like that to our kids? This generation responds to that. They may not respond as well when you say that to them face to face, but in a text, they hear it. Our language. Well, let me let me back up before we get into language. Youth need to move beyond themselves and focus on character and values. And we have to teach them those things. I have a, a therapist friend who um, has three adolescent daughters. And he, uh, in his dining room, he took down the photo that was hanging and he had an artist come in and paint love, not fear. And at the dinner table, he asked them every night, hey, girls, how did you show love, not fear today? He was teaching them something about what matters. He was teaching them how to talk through things that they're afraid of. Our language needs to be strength based with these kids. Here's what I mean by that. There is a huge difference in saying you are such a great basketball player. You are such a great singer. You're such a great artist. Those are those are lovely statements, but they imply that they're only great if they're creating something great. What if we changed our language to say this instead? 
I love watching you play ball. I love looking at your artwork. I love hearing you sing. That implies that whether they do badly in basketball or paint something that isn't that great or not, you love being in their presence. That's strength-based language. We have to show these kids that we get them, that we understand them, or we're at least trying to get them and understand them by stepping into their world. There was a teacher that uh, blew up on social media a couple of years ago because he wanted to show his students that he got them. I want to show you a video of what he did. because that teacher took the time to find out what was important to those kids, to learn their routines. And as a result, he got them, he understood them. Now, if you go on that, you can actually look this up online. If you go on, there's a, a bigger piece about this and how those students adore him for that very reason. We need to display consistent limits with these kids okay our brains are used to patterns that is how we learn that's how we learn when we're young so it's the pea goes on the spoon the spoon goes in the mouth oops dropped it pea goes on the spoon the spoon goes in the mouth oops dropped it pea goes out duh, duh, and it is a pattern and that is how we learn and that is how your kids are learning so begin to um, create some rituals in your life that are consistent, that are predictable. One of the rituals that I had when my son was growing up is, you know, I worked very, I was running the psych hospital, I worked a very stressful job, and I wanted to teach him on a consistent basis how to calm himself and self-soothe. So every night, you know, I would light some candles, I would put on some jazz music, because I love jazz. And, you know, we'd sit at the table and we'd talk and we're going to talk about how dinner time could look here in just a second, but it was the same every night. And he would say as a teenager, what jazz? This is so stupid. You're like the only mother on the planet that makes their kid listen to jazz, mom. So stupid. Whatever. We still did it every night. Uh, about a year ago, uh, my son reached out to me. It was dinner time. He called and i said hey what's going on he said i'm just i don't know i'm just struggling just had a just had a bad day just wanted to you know talk about it a little bit and i said what what what, 
what is that, son? What is that that I hear in the background? He's like, what? It's just some jazz. What? It's no big deal. <laughs> this kid in his 20s now listens to jazz every night because he learned that that is a way that he can self-soothe and that he can calm down from his day because it was a pattern that I consistently implemented every night. Figure out what those are going to look like in your home. And then we need to take advantage of teaching moments. Um, I believe that there are a few places in your house that should be sacred. Okay, your bedroom's one of them, your office is the other, the dinner table is the other one. That is a sacred place in every single family home. And if it's not in your home, I hope you'll consider making it a sacred place because that is where a lot of teaching moments can come. At the facility that I run right now up in Estes, I work with adolescents and I often break them into two lines and have them sit down and face each other. And I give them scenarios where they have to break up with each other. Nope, they can't use their phones to break up with someone. They have to do it in a conversation. They, we pretend like they are in a fight with a boss and they have to state their feelings. To a, to a boss. We, we role play talking to a parent. We role play talking to a suicidal friend because I want their brains to develop a context for how to have conversations face to face. If we sit down at the dinner table with, work, with our kids and we run through what ifs for them, then they've built a context into their brain for how to deal with it when it really happens in their life. Okay. If you're sitting around the dinner table and saying, hey, what if you're at a party and everybody starts drinking and the person that drove there, you there, your best friend is completely drunk. What are you going to do? Hey, kiddo, what if you have a friend who is saying that they're suicidal? Let's talk about what you're going to do. Hey, kiddo, what if somebody comes up to you on the street and they're very convincing and they say that you need to come in their car with them just for a second because they have a new fandangle product that they want to give you for free? What are you going to do? Start making teaching moments out of those conversations so that we move them beyond what they're seeing on social media. We need to find the motivation for our kids and capitalize on it. Okay, here's what I mean by that. If you have a kiddo that loves gaming and problem solving and going into crevices and shooting people up and solving the problem, then you've probably got a kid that really likes to um, solve problems, okay? Maybe you can impl implement in your own family system uh, outings where there are scavenger hunts, or maybe you start geocaching as a family if you have a kid that is motivated by followers and how many followers can they get? Maybe you've got a kid that has some leadership skills. Maybe you help them form a side hustle, a business on the side, a lemonade stand, whatever it is. If you've got a kiddo that is motivated by likes and how many likes they can get on social media, maybe you need to explore with them other ways to build their sense of self. Okay, maybe that's through sticky notes. Maybe you are writing sticky notes to those type of kids and putting them up on their bathroom mirror that say something like, you are beautiful to me. You are wise. You're insightful. 
you're such a leader. I value you so much. Now they may come into you and say, what mom, these are stupid. What are you doing? Do it anyway, because it's another way that they're building in their self-confidence and their core ego strength. Okay. And it's not just dependent on social media and what they're seeing from their friends. Show vulnerability as a parent, show vulnerability. It's okay to say, I screwed this one up, kiddo. I'm sorry. I'm learning how to do this parenting thing. And sometimes I get it wrong. It is okay to say to your kid, I saw this on social media today and it kind of scared me. What do you think about it? It's okay to be vulnerable with your kids. You can teach them what that looks like. One of the things that I recommend for parents, the parents that I coach, and I did this with my own son, is at dinner time, everybody put their phones away, you included. Everybody puts their phone away during dinner time. And the first 30 minutes is just conversation with each other. That's where you can do some of that role playing with them, some of the teaching moments. And then you might want to think about allowing everybody to get out their phones. I used to do this because I wanted to see what my son was looking at through the day. I wanted to see what was engaging to him and what was catching his attention. And so the last 15, 20 minutes of dinner, we spent it looking at what we had seen online throughout the day. Now, your job as a parent, when you start to see these things, is to not react. Okay, again, in my trainings, I talk about the limbic brain and how when we get scared or stressed or overwhelmed or we fear something, we immediately go to our limbic brain. And in our limbic brain, we react. In our wizard brain up here, we respond. Big difference between responding and reacting. So if you are going to look at your kid's content and go, what are you doing looking at this stuff? Forget it. It's all over. They're not going to share with you anymore. But if you look at it and say, that's intriguing. What caught your attention about this? Or what do you think about this? Or wow, let's talk about some pros and cons of stuff like this. Then you are responding and you're getting an open dialogue with them where they can share without judgment. Okay. Share what you're looking at too. You're entering into their world. And that is exactly what you want when we're talking about social media. Questions about any of that? Well, I would just like to say that, you know, as a, as a Gen Xer, I feel like in that top one, find their motivation and capitalize on it. And that one video, they were saying there's so much good. And then there's the flip side of the coin. There's so many ways to engage the kids on the good side. Um, you know, as a director of a nonprofit who does not know a ton about social media, maybe reach out to a local nonprofit and say, hey, could I help you develop some, some content? I mean, my interns are thrilled that we're going to be starting a TikTok next uh, year. <laughs> but I'm like, guys, we have to get with it. Be, because I think you're right. This younger generation, they're engaged and they're socially engaged. Um, and we, yeah, we have to adjust a little bit. What, please, please put your thoughts in the, in the comments guys, but either that or like for my kids, they use the Marco Polo app with their grandparents. So it's like a way to connect with the boomers and 
it's an app that's not super hard for my mom and dad, right? Because my mom and dad don't really understand tagging people or do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I agree. I think there's just so many ways to connect on the, on the good side too. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have, you have to kind of enter their world, like it or not, if you want to get them. And if you want to develop that open dialogue with them about what they're seeing and, and content that's upsetting to them. Do we have any questions at this point? Cause I, w- I don't want to skip over those if we have them. If you're not, if you're not sure of where to start at the dinner table or, you know, bedtime routine or whatever, um, ask them what their happy crappy is. <laughs> That's another one that I used to use at the dinner table. And I use with the teens that I work with. What was your happy crappy today? Let's go around the table. Everybody say the thing that made them the happiest today, the thing that made them feel the crappiest today. And that opens that dialogue up. Okay. Stress reduction. These kiddos need stress reduction like no other generation before them. What we know about stress is that it loses its hold and its grip over us when we can talk about it and when we can release it and get it out. Inquire about their feelings. And I, I, I have a couple of, of strategies for that. For those of you that have younger kiddos, you can go on the internet and down and uh, order these posters and they vary in range from five bucks to 20 bucks. Um, and then I would encourage you to, to post them up in a bedroom somewhere in your house so that with the, little, the littler ones, you can start to ask them what they're feeling and they can go over to the picture and point at it. And you can have a conversation about what proud looks like and shy and kind and overwhelmed looks like. Um, we, we do this with the teenagers that I work with as well. They have to point out to me what they're feeling. Um, because for kids, they know mad, glad, and sad, right? And so this teaches them that there's a range of emotions that we get to talk about and dissect and figure out with each other. Scaling with your kids. Um, those of you that have been in the hospital before, what is the first thing that a nurse asks when she comes into your room? In the chat box, what's the first thing? It's the first thing a doctor or nurse is going to ask you if you're in the hospital. Any ideas on this one? Yep. Pain somebody level from one to 10. Somebody yeah. nailed it. What's your pain level from one to 10? I often wonder what we don't use this with emotions as well. Hey, Keto, what's your anxiety right now? Scale of one to 10. And you begin to learn what their numbers mean. And you begin to implement certain things at certain numbers. Wow, it's a six. That's pretty high. It's pretty high for you. Let's talk about what we can do because a six starts to interfere with your sleep a little bit. Let's try some different strategies. You're three today. Wow. Tell me why you were three today. You had a Spanish test. Tell me why you're a three. And you begin to learn and you begin to teach them how to evaluate themselves and what their needs are. Okay. Open-ended conversations with your kiddos. Um, if you ask a kid a yes, no question, they're going to answer yes, no, and that's it. That's all you get. Right? Start to formulate your questions in an open-ended way. Okay, tell me about that test today. 
oh my gosh, tell me about what uh, Rachel said when you walked in with your new haircut. Right? Tell me about, let's talk about, what did you feel about? Those are the conversations, starters that you want to have with your kiddos. For kids that are anxious and stressed, um, one of the techniques that I use quite a bit is the see, touch, hear, smell, taste um, visualization. So, um, and I actually, my son has a, an anxiety disorder. I used to use this with him quite a bit. Um, all right, tell me five things in this room that you can see right now. Tell me four things that you can touch. Three things that you hear. Two things that you, that you smell. Here, here's a mint. Tell me one thing that you taste. It's a, it's a way to get a kiddo that's stressed and overwhelmed into the present moment again, and it can calm their central nervous system because they're focusing on something else. Um, doing breath work with kids where, you know, count to three as you take a breath in and count to four as you let the breath out. And that's a good strategy to try before bedtime. And then rituals focused on calm. Like I said, um, I'm a big believer in that bedtime routine. Um, I think it's I think it's huge. Um, the The facility that I work at, um, I have mandated that every night the ritual is the same for the kids. Um, Eight o'clock, we dim the lights. Eight thirty, we start to play soft music. Eight forty five, we light incense. Nine o'clock, we have a bedtime group with the kids. These are adolescents, so we have a bedtime group of some sort, and then lights out. When I first started this, the kid, you would have thought that I implemented something atrocious for these kids. They were outraged. The other night, I stayed late at work to see how the bedtime routine was working, and the staff forgot to turn the music on at 8.30. And the kids started coming out of their room saying, hey, where's the music? What, where's, where's the music? Their brains get used to patterns. And when our brains get used to patterns, our bodies follow, right? If we get used to a calming pattern at 830 because there's music played, our body automatically starts to relax at 830. That's how that works. So rituals around calm. I am curious about what some of your rituals around calm look like. Give while me some ideas. Are, while people start putting those in the chat, so we're looking for your rituals around calm, I want to uh, lob a question your way, if you don't mind. Sure. And I think this is a great question. Um, someone says, I only let them connect electronically for an hour a day. The rest is spent outdoors. Sometimes we just have dance breaks, like you were talking about. I feel like this generation is missing out on quote unquote real experiences. I have a hard time allowing them to stay on computers, tablets, and try not to devote them to real experiences like playing, cooking with me, playing board games. Um, we have that emotions poster at home. What else can I do to embrace technology more? This is hard for me. Great question. Yeah, that is a great question. Um, I'm going to get to it in just a second. I want to acknowledge okay. some of the um, the rituals coming in here, the breath work. Um, Watching a uh, movie together. Reading. Yeah, absolutely. Um, those are great rituals. Make them make them consistent. Stretching. Love it. That's a great one. Coloring. There's two for coloring playing with Legos. 
Yeah, I don't know who asked the question that Renee just read, but it's such a good one. You get to make your own rules in your home about technology. And the question that I often pose to parents is what will help you sleep at night? And so when parents ask me, should I do this? My answer is what will help you sleep at night? Well, should I allow more than two hours of screen time? What will help you sleep at night? I mean, that has to be the question that you answer as a parent, because it's going to be different for each of us. If you are allowing technology, know, know that if you don't allow it, they're probably going to find a way to get it somewhere, because that is how kids of this generation communicate. My gosh, our classrooms, <laughs> teachers assign things online. Um, they assign, um, you know, I work with one teacher right now in the school system that assigns homework over text. So, I mean, it is part of their worlds, but you're going to have to make some decisions about what you will and will not tolerate in your room, or, I mean, in your, in your home. And remember, if you gave your kid the iPad as a gift or the phone as a gift, you gave it as a gift. You don't get to take it back. You don't. That's a gift. However, you do pay for the internet. And you may not be willing to provide internet for someone who is not following your rules about technology time. Okay? And that's something that you write up and you figure out and you put in the family behavior contract. Okay, that's the next thing I want to talk about. The family behavior contract, and I believe that every family needs one, is what you are willing and not willing to allow in your home. It is not just about your kid. It is about what is expected of the entire family. Okay. What's expected about the entire for the entire family, not just your kiddo, because if it's just about your kid, then they become the identified patient right in your family system. And you don't want that because that's just that doesn't feel good to any kid. This is what we're going to do as a family in our home about meal time, about social media time, about video gaming time, all of it. Okay. And, and here's, here's the caution I want to put out to you parents. If you are going to say no phones at the dinner table, then you better follow it. No phones at the dinner table. Okay, because like it or not, we have to face the fact that as adults and as parents, we have also become addicted in a lot of ways to social media. We have. Okay, social media has become a digital pacifier for our loneliness and our fear. Okay, so so think about what you're going to expect of everyone and write that down and attach it to rewards and consequences. I did a sample contract and I actually put it up. Renee, I, I'm not sure if it got up for all your folks to look look at. It's but. probably in the handouts tab. Is that right, Lindsay? Okay. Yeah, yes. take, a, take a look at it. This is one that I recently did with a client that I'm working with. Um, it wasn't a ton around texting and social media because this child was having trouble with um, eating meals and um, a video gaming addiction. And so in the contract, we put what is expected of mom 
and what is expected of son, what the rewards are if it's followed, if the expectations are followed, and what the consequences are if they're not followed. Okay, I'm working with a mother lately who is trying to stop yelling at her kids. That's one of the things she wants to work on. It's not yelling. So in her family behavior contract, she said, I am not going to yell anymore at you when I'm upset. And if I do, I am going to ride my bike to work instead of drive. That's my consequence. Well, she blew it. She, she lost it with her kids and she, she was screaming at them. And the kids were like, mom, got to ride your bike tomorrow. And she's like, oh, dang it. Yeah, I do. So she ended up riding her bike and she said the whole time she was riding her bike to work, she was thinking of, man, I really reacted instead of responded. I didn't need to yell. She thought about it the whole ride instead of distracting herself with music on the radio in the car. She said, I ended up riding my bike all week. I, I ended up losing 10 pounds and I think I became a better mother because I was thinking through why I was reacting instead of responding. Okay, so the rewards and consequences go both ways. Leave room in your family behavior contract for negotiation. Okay, here's what I mean by that. And these are and these are for parents that have kiddos that are a little bit a little bit older, I would say maybe 10 and up. If you want your child to turn off their phone every night, at eight o'clock p.m. In the contract that you and your parenting partner are going to write, you are going to write seven o'clock. Okay, if eight o'clock is what you want, you're going to write seven o'clock. Then you are going to open up this document when it's all done to your child in Google Docs, or you can print out a copy and give them a pen and they get to make their own comments. When they see it and they say, what? Seven o'clock, I have to turn off my phone. That's BS, no other parent requires that. That's so stupid, I hate living in this house. You get to say the following. That is not how we negotiate in this household. If you want to state your case respectfully, I will listen, but that's not how you do it. So, when your child comes back with in this document, I think I should have to turn off the phone at 10. You can say, I'm not willing, kiddo, to allow 10. However, we could negotiate on eight. Now, eight is what you wanted in the first place, right? <laughs> but you've done some, a couple of very serious things here. You have taught your child how to negotiate in an appropriate respectful manner okay you have taught them that they are willing they are they are valued enough that you want to hear what they have to say that their voice matters that what they think matters and that you two can work together on decisions rather than be enemies about it so you've taught some pretty serious lessons in that so so keep that in mind when you're when you're working on your first draft of this then you open it up to the kiddo they negotiate and you know you guys land on the way it's going to be you write it up you hang it on the refrigerator and it becomes a working document that maybe you pull out and you address once a month at the dinner table 
and you reassess and you change it. It's a working document. It doesn't stay the same forever because you change, kids change, right? The other thing that I encourage parents to put in a, in a family behavior contract is what green, yellow, and red behaviors look like. I see I don't have a comma on this, on this slide and that the perfectionist in me is going berserk right now. There should be a comma between <laughs> yellow and green. Oh my gosh. Uh, I just went to my limbic brain and I'm trying not to react. Anyway, I would, I would encourage each of you to write out what your red, yellow, and green behaviors in the home look like. Okay. So here's, I mean, everybody understands red, yellow, green. So green behaviors look like everybody's honoring the behavior contract. Everybody's um, respecting the rules around technology and social media. Um, we are not being disrespectful with each other. Life is good. Homework's getting done on time. Um, rules are being followed. Chores are being done. That's what green looks like. And next to it, you write out, and here's what green rewards look like. We do fun things together as a family on the weekends. We go to a movie together. You get to pick out what snack you want. We start saving for that family trip. We, whatever it is, okay, you spell out, here's what it looks like in this family when we are all green. Then start listing out what yellow behaviors look like, okay? Yellow behaviors look like I, as your mother, am starting to yell at you more. I, as your father, have started bringing my phone to the dinner table. That was a no-no. Okay. There's, there's yelling in the household. Um, people aren't doing their chores. Those are, those are what yellow behaviors look like. And, and next to it, write down, here's what happens in this family when we see yellow behaviors with all of us. We group up and we have a family meeting. Okay. We have an emergency team meeting. Okay. Where we gather people in our, in our tribe and we all get online together and we talk about how we're slipping as a family and we get encouragement from grandma and grandpa and teacher and pastor and coach and crazy uncle Bob who lives in our basement and everybody who's involved in our system. And we brainstorm this thing together or we start therapy or we go, we start going to a, <clears throat> excuse me, a support group or something together. That's what yellow behavior. That's what yellow consequences could look like. Okay. And then you list out the reds. People are yelling. Nobody's respecting the rules. Um, it's chaotic in a home environment, blah, 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 whatever, whatever that looks like in your home. And here's what's going to happen when we get to red as a family. We're going to get some extra help. Okay. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to call Sherry and see if she can help us with this behavior contract thing. <laughs> we're going to call Renee, see if we can get some therapy in place. We're going to, we're going to start an outpatient program. We're going to, whatever it is. Okay. And you list that out and that becomes your behavior contract. Great. I want to get questions on this. Okay. Yeah, great comment here on the negotiation. <coughs> um, someone says the negotiation is life around here for our 13 year old. If we say, please unload the dishwasher, she has the freedom to say, can I do it in 10 minutes? We used to have knockdown drag out fights over simply unloading the dishwasher, but now with just giving her a little freedom to negotiate, the job gets done and there is peace. I love that. Rhonda, you are brilliant. I wish I could hug you right now. <laughs> that is the other thing that I want to say here. And I spoke about this in the other training that, that I did with, with my mom. Which is, let me say this real quick, Sherry, okay. sorry, which is on demand, by the way. 
Sherry's class, Which Way, is already on demand in our classroom. So you can view it at your leisure and, and also receive hours and your certificate for it. Sorry, go ahead. Thanks, Renee. I talk about um, the recognizing in our kids the needs beneath the behavior. Okay, so, so for kids, their behavior is their language. Let me say it again. For kids, their behavior is their language. Okay, kids don't have a fully developed um, prefrontal lobe. It's not developed until they get into their mid-20s. Okay, so, so behaviors live in the limbic brain. And our kids are often in their limbic brains because this part isn't developed yet. How many of you have said to your kids, why do we have to go over this every morning? Why do I have to tell you to make your bed every single morning? It's because the prefrontal lobe isn't developed. How many of you have said this one before? Did you not think about the consequences? Hmm? Did you just not even think about the consequences of running away? No, they didn't think about the consequences. That's a prefrontal lobe function. They're in their limbic brain and their behavior is their language. And one of the things we have to get good at as parents is finding out what the needs are underneath the behavior, okay? So, so kid that's in the grocery store throwing a hissy fit because she doesn't get cocoa puffs and she's screaming and she's yelling and she's banging on her head, what need is underneath the behavior? Is it freedom? Is it control? Is it safety? Is it connection? Is it worth? Okay, you have a 14 year old slipping out of the house at night to smoke pot with his friends. What need is beneath the behavior? Is it freedom? Is it control? Is it safety? Is it connection? Is it worth? You say you have to start to ask those questions. And the only way that you can do it is if you're calm and regulated. Okay, because when you're not and you're like that little punk slipped out of the house again, what the you're back here in your limbic brain and you're not able to see the needs when you can see when you can regulate yourself and you can see the needs, then you can start to pick tools like the one that Rhonda talked about earlier. You know what? I'm going to give you a choice. You can go to bed in five minutes or you can go to bed in 15 minutes. It's your choice. You decide. I, I, we had a kid um, at the facility that I, I run uh, recently. She was so defiant and, and just, just a cruel, vile kid. <laughs> and the staff were really had, struggling working with her. And they said, she will not listen. And I said, she needs control. She needs some power and control. She's a human. We all need power and control. Okay. That's been one of the things that we've struggled with during the pandemic, our sense of safety and power and control are lost. And so we've, we've all struggled during this pandemic, right? So I went upstairs to her and I said, I, I, I hear what you're saying. You are needing some control in your life. And you know what? I'm going to give you some, you need to be up here away from the group. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I want to be away from the group. Okay. I get that. That makes sense to me. I'm an introvert. I need to be away from groups quite a bit too. I'm going to put the ball in your court. You can come downstairs in 20 minutes or 30 minutes. You get to decide. She said, okay, I'll be down in 20. I gave her 20 or 30 minutes. She picked 20. <laughs> 
So that's the power that giving choices can have with your kiddos. It allows them to have some power and control. Be okay with either choice. Okay. Um, okay. I want to get to some more questions and, and thoughts, especially on the behavior contract. What, what's coming up for you on this? And you said you sent us a uh, an example, right? And like, I did. did you have it in the handouts? I did. Yeah. Correct. So it is in the handouts. Okay. So at the end of the class, when we walk you through your certificates, guys, we'll also show you where the handouts tab is. So even after today's class, that will be, they will be there in the handouts. You can see them anytime and you can download them from there. What, any, anything that you're seeing? Renee, well, we've actually end. been following and checking in on a few people to see how they're enjoying the class. Yeah. Um, and getting really, really good responses. Um, people said you, you frame things in such a down to earth, relatable way. Um, and somebody said, this is amazing. I be, I work in it, um, and having worked with the internet, I find this topic to answer a lot of questions I had. Um, and then somebody put, uh, which I loved that outdoors plus electronics equals geocaching. Yeah. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? Cause I, I think some people don't know what geocaching is and they did put a link in the chat for those who are interested. Oh, good, good. You know what? I'm not an expert on geocaching. I just know that a lot of my fam the families that I work with do it. Um, yeah. especially for those kids that, um, you know, they like solving problems. Um, so, so there's, uh, and it's probably somebody in your audience can speak to it better, but, um, there's apps that you can download on your phone that, that send you and your family in your community on a scavenger hunt with, um, with a compass and you're figuring out where to go next. And then, and it may land you at a park somewhere and you, you uncover that treasure and then it leads you to the next to the next one. And it's, it's a way to spend an afternoon that families tend to love kids love it. Um, and, and that was sort of a very general ignorant way of, of describing it, but, um, no, I've, I've reposted the link there. Cause yeah, it kind of, it is interesting. It's like, it's like right in the, out in the open, Yeah, there's this, this, yeah, it's really cool. Check it out guys. Yeah. Yeah. What other questions are coming up for you about the behavior contract? Cause I, you know, it, it, um, it tends to work well for most families. Um, how young could a child be and still participate in that? Yeah. I mean, I've had families do this with kids as young as four, um, you know, as young as, as three and four. Now it's simplified and it's colorful and it's, you know, maybe even got stickers, um, you, you know, but, um, but, but it, it can start early. Uh, you know, these are the expectations of the family. You know, you, um, yeah. go potty at potty time, you <laughs> bedtime is this time. And then you even, you know, put stars or, on it every time that it happens. And then there's a reward or, a, um, or a consequence if it doesn't happen. Yeah. And then it evolves from there for preteens and teens. Um, and, and here's another thing for the, for the preteens and teens that, are, that get lippy with you uh -huh. and, and come back and look at the contract. This is BS. I don't, this is stupid. No other family does this. What is that? This is 
foster source BS that you're pulling on me. Um, <laughs> stupid Renee, yeah. whatever it is that they say, you give a choice. Hey, I get it, kiddo. It's this is something new for sure. I'm going to leave it in your room and you can make comments on it. Uh, if I don't have your comments back by tomorrow at lunchtime, I'll decide for you. It's no big deal. You, you pick. Okay. And I think that take... answers the question that just came in, which is what if the child doesn't choose an option or ignores the follow-up? You choose for them and you okay. take the option away from them. Okay. And there are very few kids that are okay with that. Which really is choosing an option, right? Exactly. They're choosing not to choose an option. Exactly. Um, somebody says we have younger kids, four and six, and we're seeing how applicable this, applicable this is to them. The contract negotiation and physical self-esteem building like sticky notes and mirror notes are things that have been suggested to us by first grade therapists. So awesome. yeah, we, we can apply this to younger kids. Awesome. I, I say I say this and I know I'm repeating a few things from the other talk that I do, but um, how many of you remember what your childhood bedroom looked like? I would assume most of you remember, can think back to when you were. You can raise, do the raise your hand feature too, if you guys want. I, re, I remember for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of hands going up now. Was that because you went into your room as a teenager every day and said, okay, let's see. The bed is still there. The window's there. The dresser. Yep. Check, check, check. Yep. It's all in place. Mm -hmm. No, you didn't do that. You were busy popping zets and getting ready for dates, right? That's what we did when we were teenagers. But you saw it. Your subconscious mind saw where everything was in your bedroom. Your, your subconscious mind took that in as data. Sticky notes work in the same way, okay? If you write a sticky note to yourself, I am worthy, I am beautiful, um, I'm smart, I've got smart things to say, okay? And you put those up on your bathroom mirror. You are gonna see them for the first day or two. And then you're not gonna see them anymore, right? You're not gonna pay attention when you look in the mirror. Ah, but your subconscious mind sees it and takes it in as data, okay? And that begins to chip away at the, at the negative beliefs and the negative self-talk that play in the background of your mind, okay? And so knowing it or not, your brain is taking a new, new information and forming a new neural pathway in your brain. So it's the same so thing with this. Is that why people do like vision boards and stuff? Absolutely. I mean, it keeps us focused. Um, it's something that's that's running in the background that's opposite of all the negative stuff that runs back there, right? Those childhood beliefs, uh, you know, my butt looks big, my I'm fat, I'm lazy, I'm whatever those messages are. And this starts to undo it in a way that doesn't require a lot of work. So, you know, your kiddos that are getting their validation on social media platforms because they only have 50 likes and their friends get 200 likes, you are starting to validate them in a different way with those sticky notes, okay? Maybe at the dinner table, maybe each of you go around each night and say something you appreciate about each other. One of the things you love about everybody else at the table. That's another way that begins to undo some of the negativity that they're seeing online. Colorful white markers on the mirror. 
Hallelujah. Who said this? Jenny, you're brilliant. I actually wrote, I actually wrote the other day with red lipstick on my mirror. I love you, darling, to myself. I live alone. <laughs> but I put that up in red lipstick on my mirror because I was I was facing some some negativity in my life and you know doing that self-doubt and everything that that we do. Um, and I needed a reminder. So yeah, markers work great. What else? What else is coming up for you around any of this? I work with kids all day long. I talk like an adolescent. So bring it to me. Let me have well, it. Well, I know one thing that our daughter has struggled with a little bit during the pandemic too is, you know, obviously seeing people out and definitely this goes back to FOMO, but seeing people out and doing things together during the pandemic when we're trying to stay at home, yep. you know, so you just have to, you know, uh, every family makes their own choices on, on what they're going to do and what they're going to allow. And then it's just, especially in that like tween age, it's, you know, I'm, I'm going to be forgotten or I'm, I'm going to be left out once we are able to come back together again. Yeah. Um, it's just hard. And look, we all know there's life and then there's Instagram life. Right, right. right? Two and very different realities. Yes. They, our kids follow a lot of celebrities that make Instagram life seem so easy. Yeah. Um, somebody Absolutely. says the negativity online is extremely potent. I merely point that out again because it gets in through the subconscious the same way as the sticky notes. That's a great point. Yeah. And even more reason then to do positive messages around us. Yeah. Yeah. It, here's, here's the other thing I want to say, Renee, you made me think of something with this. The topics that are difficult, especially right now, you know, um, like you said, Renee, the, the, the people that, that aren't wearing masks or the people, you know, they're, they're doing something different than what your family's doing. Talk about it. I think as parents, sometimes we get nervous about talking about the deep, dark, dirty topics. And, and I would encourage you to push past your own comfort zone with that and go there. Talk about suicide. Talk about depression. Talk about different value systems that people have and why you've chosen to, to do it this way for your family system. Talk about um, drinking, um, you know, if you've got kids of that age, um, you know, and, and who are going to parties, talk about it. Because there's this still this old belief that, well, if I talk about sex with my kid, he or she is going to do it. They're going to do it anyway, whether you bring it up or not. Well, and um, for suicide too, sometimes, because we yeah. work with a lot of organizations that uh, work on suicide prevention. And that's a big myth that people say, don't say, are you contemplating suicide? You're just going to give them an idea. No, you're nope. not. It's no. already in there. Right. Yeah. Right. So have those conversations. I used to talk to my kid about what he would do if he was kidnapped. Okay. I literally walked through those situations with him. Here's how I want you walking to your car. Here's how I want you walking in the street. Here's what I want you watching for. If somebody grabs you, let's talk through what you could do. Um, if we get separated in a flood, here's where we're going to meet. I mean, we, I went there on those conversations because I wanted, 
I wanted to have a context in the brain so that when or if the situation actually occurs, they can go back in the filing in the filing records and pull that out. Oh my God, yes, I remember this conversation. Here's what I'm gonna do. If there's no context for it, they may not know. Cause you know, we're in our limbic brains when we're scared and we can't always think through things. That's a, that's a provocative statement. So I, I wanna hear your, your thoughts on that one. Yeah, I haven't talked about that, but it's something I worry about all the time. Yeah. Yeah, for, for those of you that have teenagers that are going to parties, you know, um, who say, I want to go to parties with my friends, but I don't I don't want to drink. OK, let's talk about what do you carry around in the red plastic cup? Do you throw do you dump out the alcohol in the bathroom and fill it with, you know, Dr. Pepper <laughs> that you brought from home? How do you call me and get a hold of me if you have gotten into trouble and you need me to come pick you up? Well, I'm scared I'll get consequences. All right, let's talk about that. Somebody okay. says, I love that idea because they will do as they are taught. Right? So yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll do that. My little is too small, but I do this with my students at school about crisis situations. Good. We have a safe word. I love that. We do too. We have a code word. In case somebody says, oh, your mom, you know, your mom said to pick you up, we have the word. And that's, that works really, really well. Because, oh, you know, I think it is most times when someone's abducted, it's from by someone they know. Mm -hmm. And it could be yeah. from someone that they thought was in a position of trust as well. Right. Someone says, I feel like my parents talked to me about that stuff. I began to have a lot more anxiety at a small age. And I mean, that's, I think a lot of times that's when, why we tend not to talk about it. Right. Right. Because we're afraid it's going to make our children more anxious about it. Yeah. Yeah. And if, you know, if having some of these conversations brings up anxiety for your kiddo, talk about the anxiety, um, talk about, wow, is this too much in your life to have these kind of conversations? Um, because there's a lot of other outside influences for you right now that cause stress and anxiety. So let's talk about what's what's the limit here. Um, what makes you too nervous to talk about? What can we go there on? I mean, talk about that if that's coming up. Someone says, I've discussed a safety plan with my girls if they're at the mall or a concert and God forbid a shooting starts. Mm -hmm. um, my foster daughter who is black, we've had to talk about how to behave if she's ever stopped by the police. Yeah. Um, someone says my parents did that with me and it was very effective and they did an excellent job of following through and talking afterwards without consequences. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 powerful. And, and it goes back to those teaching moments that you get to have with your kid so that they're not experiencing all those teaching moments online with fake news and right. and fake false information. Someone said, that, I wish I would have known about filling the red solo cup up with water. It's 20 years too late, but I'll use it <laughs> with my kids when they're teens for sure. Right. I know. I know. All right, so um, I, I wanna be sure and get to your comments if they, or questions if they keep coming in, but I've got another little video that I wanna um, end let's with do here. One more, let's do one more question if you don't mind. Sure. Um, how do you handle having discussions with a 13 year old <laughs> when they automatically deflect because the content is uncomfortable? 
You know, one of the things that we talked about in an earlier slide is, is be vulnerable. Then, then you be vulnerable. Okay. You show them what that looks like. Hey, I'm getting the sense from you that this makes you uncomfortable. And I get that at your age, it probably would have made me uncomfortable too. It's important that we talk about it. And so would you be willing and open to just listening to me spew out some random thoughts on this? We don't have to dissect it. We don't have to jump in and have a lengthy conversation, but I just want to open the door. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, sex as a teenager. Wow, that's, uh, I can see it's making you uncomfortable. So we're not going to go there for long. But here's a couple of things I want to throw out your way. Just just to get you thinking about it, blah, blah, blah. And then you end it. You know, you respect where they're at as a kid, but you also show some vulnerability. And this is, this is important. I, th I think one of the one of the things to ask your kid is, are you open to hearing about this? Are you open to some feedback? Are you open to having a conversation? That's a powerful question to ask a kid because it gives them power and control. It lets them know that you value the state that they're in. Okay, because that day they may say, no, I'm not open to it, mom. I had a crappy day. No. All right, cool. We'll try again another day. Okay, and you don't make a power struggle out of it. And even I, a lot of times our kids in care are seeing a therapist, right? So maybe would you feel more comfortable talking about this with your therapist? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Or together with your therapist. That's a, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, I, you know, like I said, have worked with teenagers for 30 years and I um, have done groups with kids periodically throughout the years. And it doesn't matter what year I'm in, whether it was 30 years ago or today. When I ask teenagers, <laughs> what do you wish, if you had to talk to a room full of parents, what would you say? <laughs> the answer for 30 years has always been the same. I wish that they had not settled for fine or my one word answers. I wish they would have pushed me a little bit further because a lot of times teenagers of preteen, or I'm sorry, parents of preteens and teens, you know, let's let's face it, they can be rough, man. They can put up a facade that, you know, can turn a dinner stone cold in seconds. Um, fine, I'm fine, whatever, Ugh, stupid. You know, they can do that. And as a parent, we're like, oh my God, okay, where am I going wrong? And we can back away, don't back away, drill down. What does fine mean? Tell me what fine means to you. That's stupid, mom. I said fine. Fine means fine. Well, I get it, but I don't I don't know what fine means to you. Right? And you drill and, and you push a little bit because you're letting them know, I value what you have to say to me. And I'm not going to be okay with just one word answers. I want more from you. That That's a statement about self-worth. You know what I mean? Yeah, interesting. Other, other other thoughts, comments? Well, someone says when, you know, when we talk to the kids about things that are uncomfortable, but it builds trust and it builds it where you really want it, which is within your family. Right. 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 So they're, they're coming to you instead of social media. Right. When, right. when and, they're ready. And if you've got kids who are withdrawn, they're shut down, they're guarded, whatever, for whatever reason, um, you you guys have you as parents have the conversation at the table. If if you're a single parent, you speak it out loud. 
Hey, what was your happy crappy today? I don't have anything. Nothing. Okay, well, I'm gonna tell you about mine. Man, my crappy today was that my boss came in and yelled at me and I was so embarrassed. Like, I didn't know what to do with that. So I went in the bathroom, I took some deep breaths, I called a friend. Um, I mean, like you speak it out loud so that you're teaching them how to do it one day. And if they don't wanna participate, that's okay. They're listening, they're hearing, they're watching, they're learning from what you're doing. Uh, I love that. Yeah, we can go ahead and watch the final video if you're ready. Okay. And then we have a couple other things. Okay, so this is another um, uh, documentary that is excellent. It's about an hour and a half and you can find it on YouTube. It's a free video on YouTube. It's called Childhood 2.0, I believe. Yeah, The Living Experiment. I'm gonna show you the end of it um, just because I thought it was powerful what they had to say, but the, the whole documentary is um, several sets of parents and kids um, talking about technology and social media and the good and the bad of it. Um, there's some experts on there who are talking as well. So it's a, it's a really, really great video. Again, I found it on YouTube uh, several months ago. So I'll show you the very last part of this. You can't go back. You can't go back. I know we can't go back, but I wish we could make children realize that life is precious and it's a gift and we need to really, just really value it. Do I wish that we could just throw all the technology away? I kind of do, honestly. But I know that that is not the solution. I think we're going through a painful process of adaptation to something that's fundamentally changed our culture. But the opportunities for these kids in this world are so much more vast. And yes, it's more complicated and it comes with its own set of worries and concerns. But if you take the control out of it and you focus on just trying to teach them how to be people in this world with all the things coming at them. Technology is amazing. I think it's a great thing is for human culture and stuff like that if we can control our consumption of it. So new technology almost always comes with unintended consequences. Um, you know, we didn't have car crashes before we had the car, right? The car's a great invention, uh, but unfortunately that resulted in, in car crashes. And so the answer was not stop driving cars. The answer was we invest in driver's education and we add seatbelts and airbags and lane assist and we're constantly looking for technological solutions and educational solutions to make that technology safer. How do we keep our kids safe? Uh, there's so much to that. I think what we need is a mass public awareness campaign so people understand what's going on. One thing I have learned is that if you tell people this is bad for you, they won't listen. If you tell people this is how you're being manipulated, they, no one wants to feel manipulated. As parents, though, we decided we're going to become the experts. They need to start to see us as the experts rather than just everybody out there. What's awesome is all these parents are, you know, becoming innovators. And they're like, wow, there isn't this safety thing that we need, and so I'm going to invent it. There's so much more help now than there was five years ago. And there are ways that it can benefit them hugely, but it's not going to benefit them and they're not going to use it only for positive stuff unless we educate. 
the best filter that your child will develop is the one between their ears. So having an adult they can go to that they trust is critical. And having an adult that's interested in, and able to have the conversations with them is, is critical. And they'll say, you know, I want to talk to my parents, but they just don't get it. And maybe they don't, but they should try to get it. Because once you crack the shell, oftentimes these kids are just dying to share. The, the best thing that um, you can do for your child is make sure that they feel comfortable talking to you about these types of issues. Um, and unfortunately, most parents are relatively ignorant about the types of things their children are experiencing online and aren't prepared to help them even if the issues do come up. So you're my child, I love you. So if something is goes sideways that we missed, I want you to know you have the open door and we're not going to, to give you any consequences for coming to us because you're gonna make mistakes. I want a kid to kind of once in a while go, oh, mom, I already know that, good. Just honey, wanted to make sure, you know why? Because I love you so much that I want you to know this thing, right? If a kid isn't to the point where they're just a little bit annoyed by you going there again, then you're not doing it enough. I like, I like how he said that. Um, if they're not a little bit annoyed about what you're talking about and the fact that you want to have the real conversations and that you're telling them how much you love them, then you're probably not doing it enough. You know, the kids that are like, I, I know mom, that's, that's, that's music to a parent's ears because you've done your job in, in sort of like overstating it. You know what I mean? Look, I, I, um, I wrote a, my, a book with my mom called Which Way on um, trauma. There's a lot of strategies in the book for um, dealing with yourself or other people who have experienced trauma. Um, we have a podcast on the Mental Health News Radio called Which Way Podcast. I'd love to, to have you on as a speaker if you have a story you'd like to tell. Uh, we, we get a lot of experts and people who um, talk through their experiences. We just had a foster mom on um, that gave some brilliant, brilliant statements in this podcast, and it should go up in uh, two more weeks. So um, call me, call me, email me. If you're if you're putting together a family contract and um, you want some guidance or you're not sure how to state something, um, let me know. I, I'll help help you walk through it a little bit. So I'll finish the way I started. Um, such an honor to work with Foster Source and um, and do these trainings and speak to you today. You could have done a million things with your morning. You spent it with me, and I feel honored. Uh, and I'm here for you moving forward. I um, I my mom grew up in an orphanage and didn't have somebody open um, their home to her, and it it could have saved so so much if somebody had done done that. And so I have a tremendous amount of respect for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. We love, love, love having you. Someone just said, since when do these trainings bring tears? <laughs> <laughs> well, often actually, and often in <laughs> Sherry's trainings, I'll be honest. Um, if you want to stop sharing, Sherry, I'm going to show everybody 
some a tool that we've recently discovered um, that might be interesting. First, we talk a lot, and you brought it up again today, about regulating ourselves first yep. before the child can regulate. And for children, really learning to regulate is, I mean, that's the bingo, right? That's yep. the that's the end result. That's the goal. Um, we have found, and I haven't tried this personally, I've just found it and I will be trying it, but we've had some amazing donors this season. We put this on our Amazon wish list, and someone, several people purchased them, and then somebody came in and purchased the whole list. So we do have some of these available, and I wanted to show you guys. Now, if you're watching this on demand later, you can always email us at info at fostersource.org if you're interested in this. But this is called a purple. Are you familiar with this, Sherry? Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts before I, love I pitch it? it? Okay. I love it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so this is called a purple and it's an interactive toy. I'm not sure how it gets started. I think you maybe shake it a little bit or something, but its heartbeat goes up and the ch it's the child's job to help purple calm down by holding the child, the, the purple, petting the purple, hugging the purple. We've got quite a few of these that we're going to be sending out. If you're interested in that, email, who should they email, Lindsay? I got, um, I guess me for now. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. <laughs> Sorry. I just wanted to get her permission before I did that. But yes, email Lindsay at fostersource.org. Um, do they work well with littles? This says ages three to 103. Um, and I'm really excited to try this. Even I, We got one for our little guy for Christmas. And he's seven. Um, so I think I'm excited about the, the potential of this tool. Um, Sherry, did you see a couple more questions? Have I come did. Do you mind I did. addressing those? Yeah, I was going to write back, but I'd rather address it. Yeah. Um, so there was one up here I want to get to about um, a strong-willed child. And coming from the uh, culture of, you know, break break the, break the will, you know, um, and that is how, you know, children that, you know, baby boomers and where we're raised, right? Let's, let's break the strong willed spirit. Um, and that doesn't work. So, um, so if you have a strong willed child, I think um, there's a couple things. I mean, we spoke to it earlier, trying to figure out what the need is beneath the behavior and what they're telling you. And oftentimes for a strong willed child, it's their need for, for freedom and control. Um, and so figure out ways to give it to them. Um, um, those choices are great. Um, one of the things that we don't do as parents very well sometimes is give back the problem. Okay, we've become so accustomed as parents to fixing the problems for our kids. And, and it, it sends a message that they're not capable of it. So especially with a strong child, a strong willed child to be able to say, wow, this is a predicament. What's your plan? Well, I don't know. Well, you'll figure it out. I believe in you. If you want some advice, let me know. And you hand the problem back to them. That gives them the power and control that they're looking for sometimes. Okay. Um, the, the choices work really well for a strong-willed child. I don't know if I'm answering some of your questions or answering your question, Barb, but those are just some of the strategies that I think can work really well with the kids that are that are just well, adamant. Well, strong-willed, that's often control. 
right? Absolutely. It's control. Figure out ways to put them in charge. Hey, guess what? Little Susie, five-year-old Susie is in charge of what is fixed for dinner on Tuesday nights or in charge of writing out all of the chores that need to be done and divvying them up to family members or whatever it can be where you're giving them the ability to practice power and control in a safe, um, appropriate way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I love this other question that came in. The video we watched that said, dear older generation, guys, about this younger generation and their travel. Someone says, I'm a baby boomer and I have a different perspective on that video. I value travel a lot um, in a way to understand yourself and other cultures, but who's paying for these adventures that these kids want to do? Great question. How did your son do that? Yeah. I mean, my, my kiddo has traveled the world and I didn't pay for a dime of it. Um, I wasn't willing to do that. Um, that's what helped me sleep better at night is <laughs> not paying yeah. for his travel instead of school. So um, it's interesting because the this generation, the I generation, um, find a way. They find a way to do it to do it cheaply. Um, my son, because I wouldn't pay for his travel, enrolled himself in an online webinar to find out how to travel cheaply. And he started getting at a young age. Um, credit cards that he would open and purchase a you know package of gum and then shut down the credit card but because he made a purchase he got 50,000 miles right and so he he just started doing that and by the time he was 19 he built up like some inordinate amount of of free miles where he got to travel at no cost you know, kids at this generation stay in youth hostels. They they sleep on each other's couches. I mean, they do it in a way that we wouldn't have done it, um, but they can do it fairly cheaply. If you're if it is not your value system to pay for that, don't put the problem back in their hands. Sounds like a great plan that you want to travel the world, son, instead of go to go to college. What's your plan? Well, I don't know. I thought you could use my college money. Mm, not willing to do that. I'm willing to use your college money for college or for you starting a business, but not to fund your travel. Let me but know. like they said in the video, the, of this generation, they know ways to get paid and still be able to work virtually. For sure, yeah. Like my niece, I don't really understand what she does, but it's something about, she writes Amazon ads for companies. Yep. And I mean, she gets paid very well and I don't understand what she does, but it's all virtual and she can do it from anywhere. Yeah, my, my son's friends, when they were adolescents, um, called a, a local company in town and got a $250 gift card every single month if they would put the business's uh, logos on their their vehicles and drive around. So all they had to do was put the logos and wrap their cars in the logos and they got 250 bucks for their gas money every month. So they, they get very creative.